This, this is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett. Hey, welcome back to the industry. My name is Levi Jett. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're doing good today. Hope you're doing good this week. Um, so a lot to talk about this week. Uh, first, we've got an awesome guest, uh, Jordan Smith from Voight Smith Innovation joins us, VSI, uh, the owner of Storm Equipment. He will be joining us a little later. We have a fantastic conversation with Jordan. He's such a great interview. Um, really good guy. Really enjoyed having uh, him join us. But we will get to that just a little later. And, of course, we'll be joined by uh, Weatherworks. And we'll be given an update for weather for the week ahead. Um, so we'll, we'll get to the weather this week but so last week last time we talked indianapolis was in the crosshairs of a potential major winter storm um potential accumulations of five to nine inches um of of wet heavy snow and that was the forecast what actually happened um warm ground temps leading into the storm warm air surface temps uh, up to the storm and throughout the storm. Um, The majority of the storm fell with, or uh, majority of the snow fell with temps that were 33 to 35 degrees. Um, So really not, um, a favorable scenario for snow lovers. Um, snow fell on the onset of the storm and, you know, it was practically melting as it fell and it wasn't able to bond with the pavement and hours, um, were spent like that of, of, of it snowing and melting, snowing and melting. Um, and then eventually, as it often does, uh, the snow rates picked up and, you know, it didn't matter what the surface temps were. Um, it started to accumulate. And in central Indiana, we saw between three and four inches of snow in most places, which is a far cry from the forecasted five to nine, forecasted six to 12, if you're watching the Weather Channel. And, um, so it really, I mean, this is the, one of the easiest types of storms to manage, right? Um, you know, let's check the boxes. One, the storm underperformed. So anytime the storm underperforms, um, it's, it's going to be easier than what you, you know, set out, right? It's, it's going to be easier than you thought, uh, because it underperformed. Um, also when, you are dealing with the, the warm, favorable temps, temps that favor uh, snow melting, temps that favor rain. It's going to make for an easier 
um, easier time of removing snow and managing the snow and ice. So going out, being around the state during this, you know, I saw a lot of, a lot of blacktop right away. Um, again, you know, the, the snow is not sticking. It's not bonding to the pavement. It's not freezing. And so when it doesn't freeze, you're really allowed to, to get a pretty clean scrape over the parking lot. And I saw that <clears throat> around a lot of different places. Uh, good snow contractors here in central Indiana, uh, winning the war, getting, getting that blacktop exposed. And I think the, the storm started, uh, maybe around three in the morning, but by, by three in the afternoon, um, you know, a lot of road roadways were clear. A lot of parking lots were clear. Um, people were still working on some stuff, but you know, by and large, this should have been a pretty easy storm to manage. And if you had issues performing in this event, then you have issues. If you have problems, you, you have real problems. If things didn't go, um, as good as they should have during this past event. And it's kind of interesting to kind of play devil's advocate with a storm. So I mentioned the surface temperatures being 34 degrees during this entire storm. What would have happened if it had been 30 degrees or 28 degrees? Completely different storm, completely different world. And if you had issues during a 34 degree storm, those issues are only going to be exacerbated with a 30 degree storm. A 30 degree storm means snow is sticking almost right away. Yes, yeah, sure, ground temps were warm, but if it's, if it's falling as a cold snow, um, it's going to make quick work of freezing that ground to where it can then start to accumulate. So you're going to have higher accumulations. If air temps were around 30 degrees, that means that once the snow stops, um, you're not really getting a break there either because temps generally fall after a storm like that pushes through. Fortunately for us last week, it was a slow decline. Uh, temps didn't fall into freezing until the next morning. Um, but if the storm is 28, 30 degrees, you can bet on that temps are going to continue to crash. And that's not going to do you any favors either. So what turned out to be a three to four inch event with 34 degree temperatures, um, us not hitting the freezing line until early that next morning. And you having plenty of time to get out there and scrape and put a post treatment down. Um, this storm at 30 degrees 
you know, we might be looking at that five to nine that was originally forecast or more because the moisture was there. The moisture was definitely there to, to produce a, a pretty, a pretty good storm. But again, you know, you're looking at having to deal with hard pack. You're the, you know, the salt's not going to be as effective as it is with 34 degrees, 34 degrees and salt's just not even fair. You know, that's a, that's a lot of melting going on. And at 34 degrees, you don't really have to deal with hard pack. But something that I did see, something that I did see with, um, with this storm, and it happens with warmer storms, storms where there's a lot of slush, uh, is that people don't think they have to plow the slush. That the solution is somehow just to keep salting it, and it's going to go away. Um, that's not how that works. You have to plow the slush. Is it a pain in the ass? Sure, it is. <clears throat> I remember being at a uh, at a mall once, doing some work, and. You know, I can't remember what the air temps were, but they were warm. It was like 40 degrees and a lot of snow had fallen. And so again, you know, the, <clears throat> the atmosphere is doing its job of trying to, you know, help melt this snow. Um, but again, you know, foot of snow, it's, it's a slow process and, you know, just trying to push all this slush away and toward drains or, you know, a, back away from the, the main parking lot. Um, because you know, the idea, cause snow is, you know, it's frozen water, right? Um, you're trying to get conditions to be dry. That's what you want. Um, and so you're having to push that slush to allow the air and the wind to get in there and dry that pavement up. And, you can continue to salt, but the issue is that that slush is going to work as ice dams. And it's going to limit where that water can go. So it's not going to be able to drain in the same way because the slush is creating barriers. And you got to think if you already dropped salt, that salt has already mixed, you know, that, that slushy water, that is a brine mixture. And, but again, you know, it, it's, it can only do so much because that water has to be able to run off and drain. And until it's able to, it's not going to continue to do the, you know, the salt. It's not going to, it's not going to continue to work on that slush. But I go back to the original point. If you had issues during this storm, you have issues. Let's do a quick heat check. All right. It's uh tomorrow's February 1st. 
And in some markets, you know, February's pretty much the, the end of the line for snow. And so between February and March, you may only have a couple of events left. How are your customers feeling about the services you provided so far? I know around, at least in central Indiana and, you know, a really good chunk of the Midwest, it's been a quiet winter. And if, again, if this winter for you has been a lot of ups and downs and it's been hard for you to piece things together and deliver good service and, um, and it's been a light winter, uh, you know, you really need to pull out some wins in this last month, month and a half of winter. Now is not the time to, to start mentally shutting it down and thinking that, oh, you know, we're getting close to spring. Um, no, like you, you have to keep going a hundred miles an hour and making sure that you're prepared for, for any weather that comes, comes your way. Because talked about it before. There's not too many chances you have to prove yourself in the course of a winter. And especially a dry winter, a warm winter like we've had. Um, there's not too many opportunities to, pr to prove yourself. And we're running out of those opportunities now. So to kind of change gears a little bit, um, today we're watching... An ice storm unfold in the south, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, um, into the you know Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, it, it's it's always fascinating to me, and I I don't mean to laugh because I know people get hurt from it and have issues, but anytime there's an ice storm in the in a southern market. Um, you see all these videos of, you know, cars crashing into each other and looks like it's happening in slow motion. Um, but to me, those are just so fascinating to watch those videos. Um, and just to see, you know, how crippling ice can be. Um, it's, it's really rough. Sometimes, you know, you might have a little bit of ice somewhere and it's slick. But if you've ever been in an actual ice storm where you know, every single roadway is covered, um, you know, it, it's, it is crippling. You, you can't get anywhere. Um, and it's just, uh, people need to learn how to take that more seriously. I think, especially in the Southern markets where you don't have, um, the same, uh, the same importance placed on snow and ice management. Uh, those are areas, you know, where it's just, Hey, like, we'll, we'll figure it out. It'll melt. <laughs> It'll melt. Um, but with that, you know, the DOT is probably not doing everything that they can, or they might not have the equipment um, or the budget to work with, to, to treat things the way they need to be treated. Um, but still, you know, just watching, watching this unfold today. And this is kind of the, uh, the first event of the week. 
really looking over the next 10 days, at least around uh, the Midwest, there's not a lot to talk about weather-wise. Um, temps seem to be seasonal with a chance of, you know, getting a little warmer, um, as we go on. I know, I know the outlook for February is actually temps above normal and precipitation below normal, um, for much of the central U S. So it'll be curious to know what that means, how it plays out um, in actual terms, but could be a issue getting um, getting more snow in February. Um, I'm sure we'll get some, but those outlooks for temperature and precipitation um, have been pretty spot on this this season. So it'll be interesting to to kind of see um where the season goes from here and you know how much um how much of winter is actually left i'm sure you know march will probably be the coldest month and snow all so all month long to make up for the for what we've had so far especially if if february is going to be warm and dry um all right so A question, I don't know if it's a question or if it's just a <clears throat> issue that a lot of folks have um, in the snow and ice industry, that it's difficult to stand out, that it is difficult to stand out and find something that is a differentiator to separate you from the other companies. And I agree with it. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's tough when, um, when you're taking care of something like a parking lot, because you're not there all the time. You're there when it snows and let's face it. If you're there when it snows, there's not too many other people that are driving around to come see you at work. Um, so you got to kind of get creative in how, um, and how you go about trying to stand out. There are some, some things within the industry. So, um, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but it's the pink ice guy, um, up in Michigan. You know, that's, that's a really interesting way to separate yourself from the pack, you know, throwing down hot pink de-icer that's going to stand out. Customers are going to know that you've been around because of that hot pink de-icer. Um, and you know, that's just one of the ways of, <clears throat> of doing it. Um, you know, I, I argue that service is another that, you know, if, if you're giving, you know, absolutely top tier service and your sites always look immaculate, um, that's a calling card of sorts, right? But 
one of the biggest misses that I see in this industry, and it correlates directly to trying to stand out. How many trucks, how many plow trucks or pieces of equipment parked in a parking lot do not have any advertisement? So many pickup trucks out there have, they, they, they don't have the company name. They don't have a number or a web address, nothing. And, you know, you see these trucks and I mean, hell, a lot of the time they're nice trucks. They are, they're, they're, they're nice trucks. And really they kind of remind me sometimes of like an undercover police vehicle, you know, cause they've, they've, they've got the strobes tucked away somewhere. Right. Um, but there's no other markings. Just tucked away strobes and a plow. And, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, you know, taking it from, from my personal story, right. You know, part of my job over the last, you know, however many years, um, sometimes has been, you know, going out in storms, making sure services are completed, making sure there's no issues or, or finding those issues before they come to light. And, you know, occasionally I might need to, to find another option out there. Maybe the guy we, we signed up originally doesn't have the equipment to do the job. Maybe he flaked or maybe there's, you know, one of another hundred possibilities, um, that kept him from doing his job. And so then what do I do? Well, Hey, I drive around, I go to the gas station, look for trucks, look for plows coming in, look at other lots. And yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll pull up on somebody and stop and talk to them. But here's the thing. It'd be so much easier if I was able to take a picture of your truck You know, go get some magnet decals made with QR codes and put them on your truck. That way I can just get close, whip out my camera, and bam, I'm on your website. You know, it doesn't have to be gaudy. It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be expensive. But just simple company name, phone number, website, or company name, QR code, something. And, you know, something else when I understand having a fleet of vehicles that are all the same make and model, all the same color can be expensive. But if you have something as simple as a universal magnet decal, that you can give to or that you can put on all of your trucks or if you're using some, you know, independent contractor guys, you know, Hey, you're working for me. You got to put on this decal, you know, take some time and, you know, get a nice one made, have it look nice. Again, simple, the more simple, the better. 
But to the people out there asking, you know, hey, you know, how do we stand out? If you're missing the ball on that and you're not taking advantage of that basically free advertising, then, you know, that's that's where you need to start. Don't worry about anything more advanced than that. Start there. And let me know how it goes. Because really, it's it's a huge miss from a business perspective that really just needs to be addressed. If, if I'm a business owner, if, if I'm a provider here in this message, you know, I'm going to Fiverr or Vistaprint or wherever today. And I'm going to start working on creating my decal. And I'm going to order, you know, however many and slap them on everything. And again, just because people are looking for it, people are looking for the snow guys, whether it's folks that are in snow and ice management on the facilities level like me, or maybe it's just a, you know, some sort of assistant manager of a store you know, and their lot's not done, so they're driving driving through the neighborhood, driving around town looking for somebody to come do it. But people are looking, people are watching. They're hoping to see that. So give them what they want to see. Put your name on the on the truck, put your number on the truck, website, QR code, whatever. Because if you're not doing that, then I start to wonder... Do you not want to be affiliated with the work that you're doing? Because that's kind of the message that it sends. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We are going to check in with WeatherWorks. And when we come back, we will be talking with Jordan Smith and um, have some very interesting topics to cover with him, including should there be minimum qualifications to be a snow provider. We'll be back. Thanks, Levi. I'm Mike Mahalik, Senior Meteorologist at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologists and host of the Weather Lounge podcast. Today is Monday, January 30th. Well, last week began with a storm exiting the east coast of the U.S. after dropping plowable snowfall from central PA into eastern New England. After that, the week remained active with another storm system pushing across Texas and into the Ohio Valley and northeast during the middle to late later part of the week. On the northwest flank, plows route again with three to six inches or more of snowfall blanketing northern Texas through Missouri into Indiana and the Great Lakes. After the snow changed to rain in the northeast, some salting runs were needed with several inches of snow from eastern Pennsylvania into interior New England. Last weekend was fairly quiet, however, with only a clipper spreading light snow across the plains. Into this week, we have a cold high-pressure system dropping into the midsection of the country with storms running along the southern edge of the Arctic air. This will bring several rounds of wintry mix as far south as northern Texas and into the Tennessee Valley through midweek. 
further north. Likely salting events will roll through early Tuesday morning in New England and across the Mid-Atlantic Tuesday night into Wednesday. After these systems, the big story will be an Arctic blast that drives straight out of Canada into the northeast quarter of the country for the weekend. Although nothing more than a few snow showers and maybe a couple of snow squalls will be on the leading edge, temperatures will plummet on strong northerly winds Friday with lows Saturday morning in the single digits from the Great Lakes into the northern mid-Atlantic. However, the core of the cold air will be over New England, where readings will be well below zero and could challenge or break some records. For the rest of the weekend, highs likely do not get out of the teens and 20s for many in the Northeast, but things start to moderate on Sunday. That's the weekend weather. Levi, back to you. The next guest to join the industry podcast is Jordan Smith. He is very well known throughout the industry. Uh, He is the owner of Storm Equipment, the founder of VSI, which is now VSI by Boss Snowplow. Uh, Jordan, thanks for coming to the show, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So when I I ask you, like I ask everybody, um, how they want to be introduced. And, um, you sent me over just a couple little things. Um, but so you're the, the founder of VSI, but now it's VSI by boss snowplow. Um, how did that happen? I mean, the, the change from just VSI to VSI yeah. by boss. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we, we, we started this, uh, VSI venture from the ground up as a, uh, snow and ice contractor, which we still are here today in Southern Minnesota. And, uh, you know, kind of built things grassroots and, and, uh, attracted some industry attention from, uh, uh, companies like boss snowplow engaged in discussions with them. They, they felt that we had a product that they could take to a, a broader market. Um, so we, uh, made an agreement with them for, for them to own the rights to our products. And, you know, we continue to work with them to, to market, promote and sell the product, but it's, it's now a, a VSI by Boss product because they own the rights to that product. So that's how we got there. Nice. That's awesome. That's really cool. Congratulations on that. I'm sure it's uh, sure that's a huge thing for you, um, you know, building yeah. this up from the ground and then you get the attention of someone like Boss. That's that's pretty <laughs> awesome, man. It's the American dream, right? Isn't that what it <laughs> yeah. Is? yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, I mean, you're pretty well known in the industry, but um, for those listening who who don't know who you are, um, introduce us to Jordan Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, started, uh, um, I called a lawn care company in 2000, uh, probably like 2002. What year did I start driving? I mean, I, I started mowing lawns before I could drive. My dad would, dad or mom would drive me to my accounts to mow. Uh, once I got my driver's license, I, I had a, a, a beautiful Pontiac Grand Prix. And I uh, hauled a push mower and weed whack around in the trunk of that thing mowing lawns. Um, my uh, some of my cousins owned a bunch of rental properties, so I was mowing college rental homes with a Pontiac Grand Prix and a, and a push mower. So that was nothing nice. says landscaping pretty, quite pretty as nicely as Grand Prix. <laughs> That's right, exactly what I thought. Um, and as time went on, I wanted to learn a broader skill set and um, uh, also wanted. Uh, you know, a little more guaranteed income before college. So I went and worked for another very well uh, respected landscaping company in the area um, and learned hardscaping. 
and the following summer decided to, to start a hardscape venture, hardscape landscape venture uh, with a college roommate of mine. Um, so we did that throughout our college years and graduated college in 2010. Um, throughout college, I thought I wanted to, you know, get an MBA or something and, you know, be a business guy, right? Uh, like a lot of guys that go to college do. Um, but in reality, I, I really liked what you're doing with the landscaping business. The economy wasn't very strong in 2009, 2010 when I was graduate, uh, graduating. So continued on with, with the landscape business after college. And that's probably the best thing we did. Um, really started breaking into commercial snow removal, uh, looking for ways to differentiate ourselves in that, in that realm. We started doing some liquid de-icing, which is how VSI started in 2014. Um, Along the way, did a bunch of other stuff, construction, uh, supply yard, all kinds of stuff. And, and most of that didn't work out to my favor, but I learned a lot of things along the way and I don't regret it. Um, and, and as we sit here today, we have uh, the VSI partnership with Boss Snowplow. Uh, we have Storm Equipment, which is a spinoff of our uh, uh, plow distribution, Metal Plus plow distribution and sales division of what was previously VSI. And then we have uh, the snow business. I did sell off the green side of that business this past summer. Um, to a, two of my employees, they're doing a great job running that, and uh, I did retain the, the snow side of that business. So that's what I'm up to now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so so much there to unpack. Um, but so when you went into to the liquid de-icing, I mean, what was I guess what was the cause of that coming to be? I mean, like what was the driving force behind that? Yeah. Great question. So, I mean, really what it came down to was I, I saw a big opportunity in commercial snow, but quite frankly, I mean, we, we were a little more advanced than the Pontiac Grand Prix with the mower in the trunk, but we, we were still kind of rinky dink. You know, we had two trucks or maybe even one truck at the time running out of a storage unit. We didn't have much for differentiators. Um, so we thought that maybe liquid, um, could be that differentiator because well, no one else is doing it. And, and here's how we think it should work. And we, you know, there wasn't much information out there at the time, honestly. Um, if you look at 2008, 9, 10, I mean, there just isn't much information out there on, on liquid de-icing from that time period. So it was, it was pretty much trial and error. Um, but we, we did see really quality results, really clean lots, really great feedback from our clients. And, uh, um, you know, the few we tested it on and, and in 2010, we just, uh, sorry, 2000, yeah, 2010 winter, we told all of our clients that either you're going to use liquid or, or you're, we're not going to work for you anymore because we're only doing liquid. That's going to be our kind of our differentiator and didn't lose any clients. So that was a good thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was purely just to try to find some market differentiation. Okay. Okay. Um, so with my line of work, I deal with providers all the time, talk to them a lot. Um, there's still, I wouldn't say maybe a lot, but more than I figured there would be that are, are skeptical when it comes to the liquid de-icing. And I'm sure you've heard this a lot. Um, but what's your take on what's, what's your response to that? Yeah, it, it's Honestly, I think the skepticism is is uh, is warranted, uh, and the reason for that is not because it doesn't work. It's because it, it's difficult to implement and use. Ninety nine percent of liquid success is is education behind that process, 
And if you don't have the right education and the right um, procedures, you will not have good success with liquid. In fact, you can actually make things worse, right? So one of the biggest barriers to entries of liquid is the fact that it's not as easy as just slinging salt. It is more complex. It does require more management. It does require more training. And if you don't do those things and you try liquid, you probably aren't going to be happy with it. So uh, that's mostly what we see. Now, there are some environmental cl or uh, climate-based uh, factors here, too. There are certain climates in which liquids just are not as effective as others. If you have uh, a climate with, with um, very uh, high amounts of rain precipitation that precede the snow, which probably not dissimilar to yours at times, um, uh, you know, it's more challenging to use. Can you still use it? Absolutely. Is it going to be the only uh, and the best tool for every situation? No. And I think that's where, again, that education comes in because if you go at liquids and say, this is all I'm using, you may have that three, four, five, or six storms a year where salt would have been a better option. And, and those, those storms are going to piss you off enough where you don't like liquid anymore. And, and that's what we see happen a lot of times. On the flip side, uh, clients that, that do use our um, training and implementation, um, our guidelines, they succeed at a very high rate. So if they take the time to learn, understand the science, train their staff, set up their equipment correctly, we, we see, I don't have an exact stat, I would guess it's 99.9% because .9 I can think of one client off the top of my head that decided it wasn't for them that, that you know implemented training. So it's a pretty high percentage of success, whereas overall industry is probably more like 50-50 without that education. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a big push for the training right there, man. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty stark difference. Um, okay. So making the actual brine, um, is there anything that like special batches that you can make with it? Is it pretty much all streamlined? Is everyone making the same sort of thing? Or cause I mean, like I hear this and I think, you know, like to me, it reminds me of moonshine or something like you're going to, you know, <laughs> make, make your own little, uh, extra ingredients in there to, to, to get a certain, um, certain level or certain standard of product. But, um, when it comes down to, is it pretty much a universal thing or is, are, are there differences? Yeah. So that's a great question. So there, there's, there's two answers to this. Um, if you're blending your own brine uh, or mixing your own brine, I should say, there's only one standard mixture that we suggest mixing, and that is 23.3% salt brine. At 23.3% by saturation, um, uh, salt brine has, uh, it's at it's what's called the eutectic point, the lowest possible freeze point, which is negative six degrees Fahrenheit. Not only is it the, the most, uh, or the lowest freeze point, it's also the most stable in solution. It's not going to fall out of solution. It's not going to need to be mixed uh, or, or remixed after you make it. It's just a very good, solid, stable solution. So when you're, when you're mixing your own brine, whether it be in a, in a five gallon pail or whether it be in a uh, huge stainless steel brine maker, it should be mixed to 23.3%. So that's number one. Once your brine is mixed, now where you can make your own special brews is by putting additives in with that brine, right? So we're not going to put the additives in the brine mixer. Um, we're going to take our baseline eutectic brine and we're going to take our uh, a separate tank or tote or whatever quantity we're buying our additive in. And we're going to blend those together um, uh, at some ratio, depending on conditions and temperatures to use in our spray system. So here in Minnesota, it's rather cold. 
Uh, a lot of these additives have calcium or magnesium chloride in them, which helps lower the freeze point. They also have corrosion inhibitors, polymers, tackifiers, things that help them stick to the pavement and provide traction. Uh, we are often running a 90-10 blend. So 90% salt brine, 10% additive with our brine. In a climate like yours, with warmer temperatures, uh, warmer soil temps, you're probably going to run more like a 95-5 type ratio. Um, so it, it, it all depends on, on conditions. I know you guys can get real cold there too. You don't get as cold as frequently as we do. Um, but there's times we get down to negative 20 and then we have to go to 85-15. So uh, the, the summary to your question is you always mix your brine the same way, but you blend it differently based on the conditions. And that's where a lot of that education and, and uh, background knowledge becomes very important for success. Sure, sure. Um, now, when it comes to the additives, uh, what's the market like for that, in your opinion? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a growing market. I mean, when we started 10 years ago, there was very limited options. Um, as we sit here today, there's a lot more options and a lot more good options. Um, a majority of the good uh, brine additives are going to be, like I said, either calcium or magnesium chloride-based. They're going to have some kind of corrosion inhibitor, which usually comes in the form of a byproduct from other some other type of manufacturing process. You, you may hear about beet juice um, or sugarcane molasses or um, uh, 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 corn sugar or, you know, there's all kinds of different byproducts. A lot of it comes from the ag world that we can use. And what those things do is, is, is uh, in addition to the calcium, magnesium, um, they help the sugars in, in the mix essentially help to um, disturb ice molecules so that ice is less slippery, if that makes sense. So sugars in and of themselves do not actually have any ability to lower the freeze point of anything. But what they can do is they can disrupt and disturb uh, water molecules so that when it does freeze, it's more jagged um, or more slushy so that it doesn't turn into glare ice. So that's in addition to the corrosion inhibitor, corrosion inhibiting nature of those carbohydrates, that's basically what the premise behind using sugars are. The other premise is that they can be a little sticky and tackifying this product to the pavement is a good thing because we want to make it get to the pavement and stay there and not track away on car tires. Man, that's, that's crazy that that can let you change, you know, how the ice is actually going to form. Um, yeah. The, the snow removal world is, is getting to a very techy, very sciencey um, level uh, pretty quickly. So to kind of change the focus a little bit, um, again, being in the industry for you know a long time, um, from your experience and what you've witnessed, what does it take to have professional success in this industry, and to what do you credit your success? Yeah, great question. I think. Um, on both the, the landscape and snow side, I think there's a, um, an outside the industry perception that, that we're kind of a bunch of dirt balls, right? And, and, and I don't agree with that at all. I think there's some of the most, the greatest, most professional people I've ever met in this industry. Um, but the perception's not that. I mean, the perception is that we're, you know, we're, we're uneducated, we're, we're rough and tumble, um, uh, not sophisticated, not business savvy. Um, so I, I think some some of the best things you can do are, are to make sure you buck that trend by acting professional, looking professional. When I said I don't, I'm not saying you need the nicest, newest stuff. Does it help? Sure. 
but do you need it? No. Clean, professional, um, uniformed workers, um, uh, very detailed uh, um, site plans and policies, very uh, on-time and, and uh, accurate billing, um, professional follow-up structure for those billings. I mean, just checking all the boxes of what um, other industries perceive as normal uh, is, is important because unfortunately the reason our industries get that reputation is because the, the minority ruin it for the majority. Right. So don't let any thoughts creep into the minds of our clients that we possibly are in that category because they'll, they'll walk all over you and take advantage of you. So I think professionalism is a really big part of it. Um, the other, the other thing I, I really think is, is back to my, why do we get into liquid de-icing comment? Like do something different than everyone else. There are so many people doing plowing, especially in Minnesota. Like if you own a pickup truck and you work construction, you probably plow snow in the winter because there's nothing else to do. It's too cold. You can't do construction. So uh, the term chuck in a truck comes to mind. Like you're, you know, you have a pickup, you throw a, a straight blade on there and you go, you're, now you're a commercial snow plower, right? Um, you know, just having, uh, having differentiators so that you aren't categorized um, that way. I'm not even saying those are bad people. There are probably some great people that are that operate that way. But but if you want to really grow and succeed um, and scale a business, I, I think you have to be next level uh, when it comes to professionalism and differentiation in, in your market. Yeah, I've said for a while, you know, if if you show up on time and you do the scope of work, um, you don't need the nicest truck. You don't need the, I mean, the best of everything. If, if you're just really honestly doing the bare minimum and doing it well, that's going to make you stand out anyway. Um, there's so Absolutely. many people that failed to do just that. hundred percent. Um, okay. So kind of, I mean, kind of growing on that question a little. So what do you think the snow industry needs? that it doesn't already have, or at least something that needs improvement? I think there's a couple, uh, a couple angles to look at this from. Um, I'll start with the easy one. I, I think, I think an easy one would be, um, uh, more consistency in how work is priced and, and, and build. I, I see just massive discrepancies between, company A, company B, and company C, and what they're charging for what services, how they're billing that out. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to typically get people to admit right to you that they're doubling or tripling their their hourly billings on hourly accounts, but you know what's happening because the only way they can win the account is by coming in at the, the best hourly rate and then making sure those billings are strong, right? Um, so getting rid of some of those discrepancies, um, uh, you know, the, the broker model, um, as it is often referred to, um, has merit to it in, in some ways. However, what, what I've found is that that model lends itself to, um, hate to overuse the term chuck in a truck, but it overlends itself to people like that taking whatever price they're offered because their overhead is nothing. Um, their costs are nothing. It's probably just a guy and, and one employee or a friend in, a, in, in two trucks taking care of a Target store or whatever the case may be. And, and for them, they maybe can turn a profit at $15,000. However, there's no reason they should have to, right? That, that, that should be a forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 account at minimum. But because there's people willing to take it at fifteen, dollars um, the brokers are 
why, I mean, why wouldn't they want to make that money? They're probably getting the 30, 40 or 50 or 60 it should be at. And they're, they're making the margin on that. So I think, I think between the uh, accessibility to getting into the industry and, and the, the broker model um, and the in, uh, discrepancies and inconsistencies in market pricing, um, I think there's work to be done there. I don't know how to fix it. I wish I did. I actually just had this, this chat with someone yesterday. But I think if there is more consistency, like picture, picture the accounting world. You don't go to one CPA firm and then go to the one next door and it's like, holy cow, they're a third of the price. Like it just doesn't work that <laughs> right, way. Right, yeah. But why is it that way in snow? Like why, why does it need to be that way? It doesn't need to be that way is the answer. So I think some, some standards and some uh, self-respect within our industry would help go a long ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it comes down to maybe just more training um, with the pricing. Uh, I think because I'm yes. a huge proponent in training across, no matter what the industry, what the subject, all about training. Um, and I think maybe that's part of it is just there's not a lot of people out there, like you mentioned before, you know, the, where people are viewed as not having high business acumen. Um, but some of that's legitimate, you know, and it, right. it really shows in, in your pricing and in your estimating. Um, and then the, as far as the accessibility in the industry, you know, is, is that something we need to figure out a way to, I don't know, kind of raise the bar of how you get into the industry? You know, that that's tough because I, you know, I'm, I'm a hardcore, uh, capital capitalism rules and I don't, I don't want to create policy or, um, laws that prevent people from doing that. But, um, you know, back to my CPA comment, like you, you can't start a CPA firm. If you like, I got laid off from, from Walmart yesterday. I'm going to go be a CPA. Like it doesn't work that way. Right. So, so maybe there is some training standard or maybe there is, and I honestly haven't thought about that question. That's a great question. Um, I don't want to, uh, stymie, uh, <laughs> capitalism, but at the same time, I would like to see our, our industry be more professional, more consistent. So maybe it does require raising that barrier to entry a little bit to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be something astronomical, but you know, again, something just like you said, it's, it's to me, it's too easily a thought you can have while sitting there on your couch, drinking a beer. Hey, you know what? We should do snow removal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then sure. all hell breaks loose. So Maybe if it's just yep. something where, again, you know, again, to, to further that thought, sitting on the couch, having that idea, you go to your phone to check what's the requirements and then boom, you know, there's something just minuscule that they don't want to climb over to enter that arena. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, there, there's an idea for you. You can run with it. <laughs> you can create the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, man. So about to get you out of here. Last question, a uh, question I ask every guest. So what advice would you give to someone earlier in their professional journey than you are? Yeah, that's an awesome one. And it, it the answer for me is really easy, but it, it's, it's, I also understand that it's very difficult to follow. And that's just take the advice of, of your, your peers and industry experts. Um, I know for me, you know, starting business really young, not only starting young, but having multiple businesses, um, very young, it, it was way too easy for me to think that I knew better. And I got great advice from multiple different directions early on. And I, I didn't take it. Um, and, and I, I had to learn the hard way. And I, like I told you before, I don't fully regret learning the hard way because I won't make those mistakes again. However, uh, a simple, um, stepping back and realizing that the people that gave me the advice, 
have been there uh, and they probably know what they're talking about uh, would have probably gone a long ways. It doesn't mean I would have changed my behavior completely, but it means I would have thought through things a little more carefully. So, you know, when we talk about going to industry seminars and listening to keynote speakers, not that every keynote speaker knows more than you do, but a lot of them are probably keynote speakers for a reason. Like, Take that advice to heart and, and uh, at least at least have it be a factor in your decision-making. Because for me, I know that uh, especially early on, I, I really uh, thought I knew best and I didn't uh, necessarily follow. I went to all kinds of seminars and stuff and I walked away going, yeah, yeah, we don't need that. We don't need to do that. We're fine without that. We're actually better than that. Right. It just wasn't true. Looking back, it's like, man, they were right the whole time. Yeah. No, I mean, your, your, your answer was perfect because that, that was the basis for the creation of this question is, Hey, you know, if someone out there is listening and they're, you know, maybe younger and they're, you know, they're just like, you know, cause it's, it's every, um, it's everywhere, man. Like it's the biggest human problem is not being able to, you know, take advice from the older people, you know, and whether it's, um, cause I know I was that way and still am probably. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, hoping that someone out there, maybe just a couple of people will be like, Hey, you know what? Jordan's onto something there. You know, maybe I should listen to him. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, I think the only other thing I'd add to that is don't, don't take that as a advice to kill any creative, um, thoughts or ideas you have because, you know, I got some advice in 2014 not to not to continue with the VSI plan because it was too risky and too expensive. And had I done that, I, you know, the biggest uh, uh, deals and moves I've made in my entire career would have never yeah. happened. So, I, you know, you have to you still have to stand on your own um, beliefs and vision, too. But just, you know, at least heed the advice of, of those that have been there. Well said, sir. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. Again, this is Jordan Smith, owner of Storm Equipment, founder of VSI by Boss Snowplow. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I had a good time. Nice conversation there with Jordan. Um, Heck of a guy. Really good interview. Uh, Love talking to him. Hopefully, you can come back to the show at some point. Uh, love to talk to him about tons of other things. Uh, but I, I wanted to talk a little more about the idea of having entry requirements into the snow and ice industry. After all, you know we're <clears throat> we're in the pursuit, at least I am, of trying to raise the bar and make this a more professional industry. One of the things that are going to have to happen is an entry requirement because the way it is right now, picture it guys sitting at home, drinking a beer on his couch being like, man, I got to get something going. You know, something's got to give something's got, I have to get something going. What should I do? Hmm. Well, I've got a truck. Mm. And hey, my buddy has a plow he's not using. Bam. Instantly. He's a snow provider. He's a snow provider that at that moment, with no training, no no knowledge of the industry whatsoever, 
He's going to be out there bidding work. He's going to be out there plowing snow, talking to customers. And that's literally how easy it is to become a provider. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not cutting into providers here. All right. Cause there are so many out there that, you know, go through great links to make sure that they're trained and their people are trained and, um, you know, or it might be a family business where it's, you know, just passed down. And so there's a lot of experience there. Um, but really, you know, snowplow and landscape are, are two industries where, again, you know, it, it's virtually nothing to get started uh, and to get going. I mean, think about, you know, landscaping. You just need, you know, the same mower you have to mow your yard. You can use to take it around and mow other people's yards. And right away, that's a business. And so, again, like I, I'm not hating on it from the principle of, you know, people are able to to um, to make something of themselves or to to make money, but there there has to be <clears throat> some sort of limit, and it's not meant to keep people out. It's meant to make sure that they are a certain standard when they come in. Because that guy sitting on the couch drinking a beer, trying to come up with something. Here's how the rest of that would go, right? If if there were uh, something in place, another couple of steps, that story would have finished with, you know, him Googling, oh, how do I do a snow removal company? Oh, well, I got to take this class. I got to get uh, a license or I have to get something else. And, and, but there's enough barriers that's going to keep that guy out. And the guys who actually want to do it are still going to do it. And they're going to be better off for it because that entry requirement really should be training. Um, it should be ops training to help bring awareness to the industry standard, to help raise the bar on the industry standard. It should include pricing and bidding, a conversation about that you know, what normal prices are, because that's the other thing. If we're trying to be more professional, we need to normalize and close the gap on the difference in service pricing. Everyone wants to complain about, you know, management companies out there driving down prices, but hey, that's, that's a provider thing too. Cause someone's taking them at the end of the day, someone's taking these contracts and you know, so it's, it's usually lowest price wins. And, but at, 
if we're able to close that gap in pricing, then all of a sudden it's a much more competitive market where, you know, good companies, good providers, um, are going to be able to get the fair price they want, I think. Um, and then lastly, some sort of a intro to forecasting and weather and, um, and also, you know, course on de-icing. Um, yeah, I think with, you know, those, those four ops, pricing, weather, and de-icing, you know, tools like this, training like this is out there. It's out there in a lot of different places, but making it a requirement that's forcing the provider's hand at that point. It's forcing their hand to have to comply. And that's the issue because not enough people are taking these courses and doing this, this type of entry training. Um, you know, so many questions I get asked day to day are, are often elementary to me. And that's not to put anybody down, but it, it just kind of blows my mind sometimes at the questions that I'm asked and they're, you know, they're serious questions. And it's just, okay, you know, like I'm, I'm not an asshole, you know, so I'll answer the question. I'll play along, but still, you know, it's just, man, like there should be some, some entry level stuff here. And again, to help people out, help people out, give customers a better product. Cause it's going to help the customer too. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we all deserve it to our communities, right? Our neighbors, our friends, families to be the best in snow that we can. Um, cause ultimately it just keeps people safe and keeps the world going. But all right, we're going to wrap up, um, this episode of the industry. Please be sure to. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to find us on Facebook and give us a follow. Don't hesitate to reach out to the show. Been having some feedback recently from some listeners. Always enjoy to hear, um, to hear thoughts and, uh, and those and that feedback. Um, but we will be back next week as always. And. Also check out the, the industry after dark. Um, the first episode will be released this week and, um, going to be a fun, fun show. Um, not going to talk too much about snow. Not going to talk too much about, uh, some of the stuff we talk about on here. Um, but no, it, it's going to be a fun show. Definitely a show worth checking out. If you often find yourself, uh, plowing snow or you're in a, in a piece of equipment, you know, turn us on the radio and, uh, we'll try our best to keep you entertained. But until next time, thanks for tuning in to the industry. 
Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.